Hello, America. It's Friday. This is the Glenn Beck Program, the last one of the decade. And what a way to end up uh, this uh, decade. On today's program, Candace Owens, who is remarkable. I saw her speak last night here at Turning Point USA. And it, she is, I'm telling you, she's our Michelle Obama. She is uh, so likable, so uh, magnetic, and she her arms are actually toned. We don't we don't have to we don't have to get people in the press just to try to convince everybody she's got great arms. We'll talk to her. Also, Rudy Giuliani will be here. Bill O'Reilly will be on the program. Charlie Kirk, and in ninety minutes, a major announcement. All on today's program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So last night, believe it or not, was another debate. And you'll never guess who's fighting for the center. Elizabeth Warren is now trying to fight for the center. Elizabeth (laughs) Warren? Center of what? It's it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. Uh, I think Andrew uh, Yang had the exchange of the night, the one that was, I think, important, again, showing he kind of gets it. Here he is telling the everybody else on the podium, stop with the obsession of impeachment. Listen. It's clear why Americans can't agree on impeachment. We're getting our news from different sources, and it's making it hard for us even to agree on basic facts. Mm-hmm. Congressional approval rating last I checked was something like 17%. And Americans don't trust the media networks to tell them the truth. The media networks didn't do us any favors by missing the reason why Donald Trump became our president in the first place. If you turn on cable network news today, you would think he's our president because of some combination of Russia, racism, Facebook, Hillary Clinton, and emails all mixed together. Mm. But Americans around the country know different. We blasted away 4 million manufacturing jobs that were primarily based in Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Missouri. I just left Iowa. We blasted 40,000 manufacturing jobs there. The more we act like Donald Trump is the cause of all of our problems, the more Americans lose trust that we can actually see what's going on in our communities and solve those problems. What we have to do is we have to stop being obsessed over impeachment, which unfortunately strikes many Americans like a ball game where you know what the score is going to be and start actually digging in and solving the problems that got Donald Trump elected in the first place. We have to take every opportunity to present a new positive vision for the country, a new way forward to help beat him in 2020, because make no mistake, he'll be there at the ballot box for us to defeat. Hmm. To me, he's the, the most serious candidate. To me, he is the guy that if, if they nominated him, uh, you would have a chance uh, of actually turning some heads because he's serious, he's thoughtful, he's very left, um, but he has actually thought these things through and he is speaking to the American people. I, I can guarantee you that a lot of the people that watched this last night because they were Democrats, and I don't mean the Democrats who are, you know, out there campaigning right now, I mean the average Democrat. If they were paying attention last night and they saw that, I can guarantee you they were thinking to themselves, yes, finally, yes, 
Yeah. I do think- you know that in you, you know that in in uh, the um, the rally uh, where was that in Michigan uh, just a couple of days ago? Is that where he had that Michigan Grand Rapids? Where was that? Um, it was Donald in- Trump had his. Go ahead. Was, I thought it was it it was definitely Michigan. I think it was in Amash's district, wasn't it? I think it was. So he has this rally. Did you know that nineteen percent of the crowd were Democrats? Nineteen percent of that crowd were Democrats. This is this is yeah, the, you think this is spelling doom. For the Democrats. And believe me, I'm happy about it. But this is, they, they just don't get it at all. At yeah. all. They are so out of touch with people. I think Yang does get it. Uh, I think he sees a lot of what's actually happening in the country. Now, to be clear, and you, you hit on this, I think he would be a bad president. Like, I think Andrew Yang yes. would be a bad president. His policies are not uh, are, are not good for the country. But... Number one, I think he is serious. And number two, he comes off as probably the only person who comes off on the stage as a good person. Like he's a good, he seems yeah. like a good guy. Like he's not, con- yeah. he's not made his campaign about insulting uh, Republicans and calling them racist. He has made his campaign about his ideas, which I don't think are good ideas. But at least mm-hmm. he's actually attempting to be real. He seems likable. And, you know, when you listen to him in scenarios where he's not just on stage kind of quoting his own uh, universal basic income program over and over and over and over again, you see he has depth. He's thought of these things. He's listened to the libertarian and conservative arguments about them. He knows, you know, I mean, like that is you don't get this from politicians. He he is different. He's changing the paradigm a little bit. Let me ask you, as as. As an American currently functioning in this nation, would you rather have a debate where two people are calling each other names and it's a fight over racism or two people who were discussing universal basic income because the world is on the verge of change and we are headed towards what experts say is permanent 30% unemployment in the next 10 years. And that's only because of the upgrades of AI and everything else. They believe that we will have a permanent 30% unemployment rate. Now, that may not be true. You know, people say that every time, you know, we got rid of the horses and they're like, what are people, what are blacksmiths going to do? Yeah, it hurt for a while, but they found another job. So it may not be true. But at least we'd be having a discussion about the future of the country and what we're really facing. I would so much rather have that conversation with somebody I really disagree with. I mean, I've, I told you probably five years ago at least, you need, to, uh, you need to have the discussions about things like basic, universal basic income. Not because it's socialist. But because there's going to be a real outcry while we're in this transition. And just by pretending it's not coming is not going to be good enough. We'll be beaten by a really bad idea, universal basic income, because we won't even be addressing the problem. Andrew Yang is, he sees over the horizon. 
he's wrong, I believe, on his policies, but he should be heard and he should be debated seriously. And you saw that, I think, for the first time a little bit last night because we're down to seven candidates. He was actually able to speak a little bit. He wasn't completely ignored. Now, he's still at the point where no one is finding any benefit in challenging his ideas or attacking him. So he is in a, you know, he's in that nice little window where he's at four or five percent and there's not a huge point in going after him. Unlike Buttigieg, who was the focus of almost every uh, every back and forth in that debate last night, which is interesting because we said this from the beginning at some point. They're not going to just hand Pete Buttigieg the nomination. At some point, right. someone's going to have to say something negative about the guy. They attempted that last night, which was which is sort of the big takeaway uh, of of the debate. How did you th- how do you think that worked out? Was that effective? I thought he. I mean, I thought he did well fighting it off. Um, he, you know, you know, like you got, you know, Warren went after him with this attack of like, well, you're doing these fundraisers in wine caves, and you know, because he did this fundraiser with rich people in wi- in a wine cave and took these donations. And of course, his comeback to Who that is cares? Right, well, this is classism. It's all Ugh. all all these it's the oh, entire party's platform basically yeah, is to know, say you he's know either racist me. or that he's you know he likes rich people too much. Bern, Bernie was calling everybody out last night for you know having fundraisers with billionaires. Oh, okay, so we've made it a B instead of an M because now Bernie, you're a millionaire. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great one. Just, I love that. And yeah. it's, a, it's amazing how they say, I mean, Warren said last night, we can't have people who have, who are, you know, super rich making, deci- making the decisions uh, for the electorate. And it's like, well, they're, I mean, one man, one vote applies to them too. They get a chance <laughs> to say <laughs> what they believe too. And if they, they get to I make know. the same no, uh, no, Stu, donations. Stu, mm-hmm. Stu. Mm-hmm. Nothing a billionaire has ever done has been any good. <laughs> Carnegie, what did he do? They gave us steel, and then what? Yeah, just then started. What? Mm-hmm. Just started forcing libraries all over the country. You know that he paid for. Uh, you know, uh, Bill Gates. What did he do besides change the way we work? Uh, and make things more efficient. Um, uh, you know, that evil billionaire, and I kind of mean this one, Steve Jobs. <laughs> what did he do? I know. Except connect the entire world. I'm going to tweet about this right now on my iPhone and let everyone know <laughs> and let how evil know. he was. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Incredible. You got to get rid of those billionaires, man, because they did nothing to earn that money. All right, back in just a second, we have a... Major announcement. If you were a Blaze subscriber, please check your email. Uh, Late, late, late last night. It was midnight on the East Coast when I finally uh, wrote this uh, uh, letter to give you an upper hand. If you are a Blaze subscriber or if you've ever donated to uh, the Nazarene Fund or M1, Mercury One, you probably, you should have gotten a letter from me last night. Open that up uh, before... Mm. You've got about 70 minutes a head start. So open that uh, up so you can get the advanced scoop. And believe me, you're going to thank me for that advance because it's it's uh, well, you're you, you every don't miss the announcement coming up in about 70 minutes. You know, I want to uh, I want to share a uh, uh 
kind of a Christmas uh, message coming up in uh, just a second, and it revolves around adoption. You know, the the best thing that um, you know, I was just going to say, I was going to say the best thing I've ever done was adoption, but then I remember what people tell me about boats. The happiest day of your life is the day you get your boat. And then once you've had it for a while, you realize, no, that's the second happiest day. The happiest day will be the day I get rid of that damn boat. So I, I'm, I'm not sure, but right now I believe the happiest day uh, is when my, one of my children uh, was born uh, and my son, Rafe, we adopted him. We got him at birth. It was just a miraculous thing. Uh, and uh, his birth mother was just... Just one of the bravest people uh, I know. And um, there is a couple that lives in Seattle, uh, and you'll know them when you hear, but you don't know anything about what's happening in their personal life. And they have gone and adopted these children from China, and they specifically are asking for the ones that are abandoned, the ones who have major health issues. And they're in the hospital all the time in Seattle. I mean, you know, they walk into the front, you know, of these uh, of Seattle Children's Hospital, and they're like, hey, Bill. Hey, Steve. How are you? I mean, they know everybody because they're there all the time. And they have worked real miracles in these kids' life. And more importantly, these kids have worked miracles in their life. And I just wanted to share this story and their story coming up in a few minutes because... Uh, uh, we avoid hardships. Uh, we, we have deemed that all hardships are, are um, somehow or another bad, and they're not. That, that's when you grow. That's when you change. Those are, the di- those are the times when you look back and you say, that was really a great time. You were bitching the whole time about it, and you didn't want to live like that, and you don't want to go back. But it was the time of your life that you, you remember most times as one of the best times of your life. So I'll share that uh, with you. An amazing story coming up in, uh, in just a second. Stu, what did you think about Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden imitating the stuttering kid? <laughs> well, you know, honestly, it's, it's one of those things that uh, I don't think is all that big of a deal uh he no, is, i don't think it's a big deal at all yeah you know, he, but, but 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 i mean certainly right. if trump did it it would be a big deal right we all oh, know it would be there'd be a new impeachment papers fire oh yeah, tomorrow yeah, yeah, for yeah. it absolutely absolutely uh, but you know biden is and we talked about this when it happened he, the explanation from the campaign for why he's so bad in public and why he's been so bad in this debate is that he was a stutterer when he's a kid when he was a kid, he was actually a stutterer. He's talked about it before. That's not a brand new thing. Though... Is it possible some of the hair off his legs got caught in his throat? <laughs> Maybe that's why he was stuttering so much. He was standing in the... Yeah, because he stands in the pool mm-hmm. and his hair just kind of goes. And, you know, I'm just imagining these long locks of hair from He's his got, legs. Like, lines wrapped around the pool. Of kid, little kids right. wanting to come in the water just and rub his legs. Him. Yeah, no, yeah. not weird yeah. at all. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, maybe he that. was stuttering because they were rubbing his legs. Right, <laughs> da, 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 da. they're always da, under da, the podium da, rubbing his da, legs. Da. Um, yeah, anyway, yeah. So that was that was their big excuse was that he it, it the problems he had as a child were coming back. 
Now, you know, mm. buried two-thirds of the way through the very long story, and I believe it was the Atlantic that wrote it, uh, is the idea that doctors don't think that's a thing. Like, they don't say, you, if you're a stuttering kid and you, and you uh, are able to cure that, it doesn't typically come back when you're in your 70s. So stuttering's not like cancer? No, it's not. It's a little different. It's a little different. <laughs> a little different. Okay, didn't know that. Learn something new every day. So I think he thinks he can. He's, you know, it's like, it's like uh, you are able to make fun of uh, Italians if you're Italian, right? Like he's thinking uh, I can I, not even make fun, but I, it's okay. I can say these things because I'm, I'm one of them. I think that's his thought uh, process there. Though, again, uh, the thought process of Joe Biden is usually pretty, pretty small and not exactly dynamic. <laughs> hey, hey. He is up to date. He's he's doing no malarkey. He's, he's got a no malarkey bus. He is up to speed. Still a few minutes away from Bill O'Reilly. He's coming up at the uh, top of next hour. Also, Rudy Giuliani, Candace Owens, Charlie Kirk, and a major announcement that we are 60 minutes away that you do not want to miss. Um, I, I want to introduce you to a couple of people, um, Peter and Seth Talbot. Now, they're friends of mine uh, and also, full disclosure, sponsors of this program. But I wanted to have them uh, on just to talk to you about... Uh, an adoption that absolutely changed their family. Pete, Seth, how are you? Hey. Great. Good, good to have you here. Uh, Thank you. We were just talking about uh, adoption and uh, the amazing, the amazing gift that is. And you guys happen to be here, and you're from Relief Factor and big sponsors yeah. of the program. Uh, but we've talked about this for a long time because you went. Uh, and uh, adopted some children. You have two biological children. Yes. Uh, and you and your wife decided to get children from China yes. as well. Why and how did that happen? Why China or yeah. why adoption? No, why China? China actually is, uh, up until this point, one of the easiest countries to work with if you're looking for children with special medical needs because they have a very, very, very long list of medically complicated children. If you're looking for a healthy child, um, then that's not the way to go. When we went the first time and brought home Eric, and that was six years ago, we were with a family that had been waiting nine years for the healthy child. So we were getting our child that was supposed to have cerebral palsy at the same time he was getting his healthy little girl. And how long did you wait? Uh, a little over a year and a half, but that was largely wow. because um, there were some major organizational changes happening with the agency mm-hmm. we were working with. It should have taken about a year, but we had some hiccups. But your there. son doesn't have cerebral palsy. No. What what no. what what happened there? Um, we had um, the experience of recognizing that a lot of what the medical assessment was was incomplete and just incorrect, and that was the case. Quite a few years ago, back in six years ago, we noticed by the time they went to go get Michael, and that was about three years later, uh, the severity of complications were higher on average. So when we went to, to, to bring home Eric, our first, there were a lot of children with minor issues or mm-hmm. less severe looking mm-hmm. issues. We were looking for a child that had motor control issues or vision issues. Why? 
Um, I mean, I don't. I know that sounds. Yeah. No, no, no. Did you I, ask that as grandpa? No. Did you ask well, that? Well, we did. We yeah. did. I mean, Seth has always had, and Jennifer, obviously, a real love for kids. And then it was just sort of like they realized, how did you make that transition, son? Well, I would say we were, when you go through the adoption process, um, we were on a call with our agency, and we were going over this thick sheet you go through identifying what medical complications you'll accept. Mm-hmm. And we had a real key moment because at the end, at the end of the call, our, our uh, agencies flippantly, not flippantly, but just casually mentioned we were the most open family they had in the system. Mm. Well, the way that, that waiting children, the, the adoption system works is that every month um, the different countries release a huge batch of children's files. And then your age, all the agencies kind of do a land grab for files that mm. they think might match their families that are in their program. And then what happens is that those files get matched with parents, hopefully, and those that don't get matched go on the waiting child list. So at the end of the call, we realized that we were in line and at, near the front of it for children that someone else might adopt. And that was the moment for us going, we need to get out of line. Because we wanted to, we were looking for children that wouldn't have been adopted. That's the, and. So your first one that you thought had cerebral palsy. Yes. But then Michael, uh, when you, did, did they correct this in China? They did. They did. They did. He was in a hospital within three days of being born. And he, he his esophagus was attached to his lungs? Correct. And he had um, a variety of other issues, including uh, heart complications. Um, so he's, he was. Far more, far more complicated than the first. This shocks me that China actually, you know. Went they did to, phenomenal medical work. That's amazing. They saved his life. Yeah, within three days. The thing that's really sad about um, adoption out of China is that the parents know that if they don't abandon the children, they often can't care for the kids, and they can't get the care they need, and they'll die. So um, we have seen it multiple times where – the parents have been forced to just for economic and access to medical care. We were with the, with the child who came with a birth note and they found out when they were in China and we were there when it happened, they found out that he had a twin and that the parents had even tried to sell their kidney trying to pay for his uh, um, uh, hydrocephalus surgeries because he had major brain problems mm. um, yeah twin so they found out with a seven page letter from the parents that they had they had a twin and the mother's apologizing profusely in the letter saying there was nothing we could do i did everything and i tried to sell my kidney to pay for your care but i couldn't this oh was the only gosh. option to save your life and china stepped in so we've had now two children that have had legitimate very significant problems and china's you, you medical brought- care you brought Michael to the to the states. You found out his best friend yeah. was left behind. Yeah. Well, he came home and kept on talking about Lulu, mm-hmm. and um, so and and almost all the pictures we got of Michael in China had a photo of him with who he called Lulu, and it was this cutest little guy with this massive three pound tumor coming off the back of his head. Mm. Um, but they were inseparable. You could tell that they were doing everything together, holding hands, doing this, and actually looking after little babies together. It was quite Sweet. a story. It got to the point that when we were going back to go for a third adoption, 
we didn't think he was available. We had been inquiring about who we were calling Lulu, um, but he wasn't adoptable. Well, we started the process just before Thanksgiving, went um, to Christmas and came back and picked up the process again because it's, it's like six to nine months of paperwork. And we picked the process back up, and our agency said, oh, by the way, Lulu isn't Lulu. Lulu is Tianyu, and he's available. Uh, you know, his file's like an inch and a half <laughs> thick, but do you want to look at it? Uh, that was a shock to us. Um, but we knew who he was, and so there was um, – when we played the video, when we went through this process, we didn't tell our children what we were doing for obvious reasons. When we played the video of who we call Jimmy now, mm-hmm. running through the orphanage, as soon as I hit play, my oldest daughter exploded in tears and said, that's Lulu. We're adopting Lulu. And it was one of the most mm-hmm. impacting moments in our family. It was like, yeah, we were totally in on this kid from the beginning. So and that was and a year ago, a few weeks ago. Surgeons last year perform surgery on him to remove that tumor. Yeah, within a couple months of coming home, they were able to take the tumor, most of the tumor off uh, and do repair. We were told, and this was actually a big um, reason why we were able to move forward, is we were told our Seattle area is the one of the best places, in fact, the best place in the world for this. Mm. And so having the resources 25 minutes away at Children's in Seattle was um, – one of the reasons why they said you guys are a good fit and they picked us for mm. going to get him. So the one thing you told me, I don't know, maybe six months ago, you were talking to me. I think it was Michael that you said you want to go back to China or you wanted to visit China. Do you remember this story? Yeah, this was, yeah, yeah this was ahead. Jimmy. Yeah. The, oh, it's Jimmy. It was Jimmy actually. Mm. Uh, his language just came so quickly. It blew our mind. And we talked about going back to China. We talk about China a lot. And he was quite resistant to that because he didn't understand he was staying home. That's actually been the the challenge of adopting a five-year-old is that permanence was something we had to teach him. We've we've had to use a lot of different verbal constructs to communicate the idea of permanence of Mm. I'm your forever father. And what's been unbelievable through this is – how he gets it, and then how he responds. And that's the thing that we, you know, when we were talking a few months ago about being able to maybe talk about this, I want people to understand the unspeakable, indescribable joy and experience, the distinct parenting experience of someone who didn't have a home, finding a home, and looking at you as father. There's a look when they flip. And it's something that you don't think about with your bio children because it's implied. It just it happens more naturally. They expect to be taken care of. They expect to be fed. They expect permanence. They, they anticipate impermanence. And when you have to train a child on permanence and it works, it's mind-blowing. And as we've tried to expose as many people to this, because one of the things that we were going through when we were preparing to bring Jimmy home was people thought we were crazy, truly crazy, supportive but crazy. But there was another family that we were in touch with that had far more children in the home with far more complications. And I reflected with my wife and I said, that really helped kind of normalize it a bit. To it. That, that helped knowing that this family that has to travel in a passenger van with hospital visits mm-hmm. constantly, they're thriving. It helped. And so part of it for us was wanting to 
tell people, you know, um, I was just talking to someone about adoption recently and they wanted to know about how you get to that point. And I said, don't start with what you think you can do. Start with me, what you think you're supposed to do mm-hmm. because you will assess what you think you can do incorrectly because in, in, unfortunately what happens is that you link that with what limitation you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too complicated. Mm-hmm. And we thankfully had gone through a lot of spiritual growth and Jesus had drawn us to a position where it was very clear, I am here for that. And Jennifer came through a different route where she had a concern. So are there for, more coming? No. <laughs> not, we're in the not hospital. We're in the not hospital. immediately. No, we're in no. the hospital a lot. Yeah. We are, uh, we homeschool five children. We, that's the yeah, lie. Yeah. I apologize to my wife. Yeah. She homeschools five children. Uh, and we're in the hospital all the time. And I don't say that as a sympathy play. This is worth it. We are happy and thriving, and everyone in the home wants to be in the home and is grateful. But we, have, we, are, at, we are at our capacity. Really? Because I have a couple of teenagers, <laughs> yeah. and they're, it's a very short waiting list. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, someone was talking to me about trying to train their children to be less spoiled, and I'll say, you know what, what really uh, was not the reason why yeah, yeah, never yeah. factored into it. But having participated with this, our, our children um, all are into this. They, mm-hmm. they are absolutely on board. And watching just how the Lord has working with the family, the joy as grandparents. Mm-hmm. These little guys are just so special. But the whole family. It's the best thing we've it, ever done. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, it's stressful, but it's not done. stressful, right? It's, it's joyful. If, if you are yeah. thinking at all about children and uh, maybe having a hard time getting pregnant or whatever, I urge you, yes, best please. thing in my life, adoption, best thing in your life. It's, it's, it's changed the trajectory of our family and, and, and circle. The ripple effect has been unbelievable. Our church is ridiculously supportive. We came back and one of my buddies who's the pastor, um, I cook a lot in the home and he said, can you add another week of the food train? Because we have more families that want to participate in this than you need food. So do you mm. mind if we extend it for another week? You know, mm. we had casseroles stacked. Yeah, that's great. To the, that's but, great. but he asked, can you add it a week? That sort of support network has completely changed the dynamic of yeah. our, our community, our church, uh, friends, family. And, our, you know, you have to go through a lot of hoops. And it is costly, but it is... It is well worth unbelievable. It. Well worth it. Seth, Peter, thank you so much. Peter, thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. Hello, America. It's Friday. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Uh, Bill O'Reilly is going to be joining us in uh, just a few minutes. I'm in West Palm uh, at uh, Turning Point USA. This is an amazing group of of 18 to 24 year olds there were about i think 5000 people in the audience last night when i i gave the speech i gave the opening keynote and it was i walked out and i said you give me hope the, the, this group really gives me hope they weren't they didn't even exist 5 years ago and now they're all, literally all over the world i just i just met the uh, the turning point usa uh, UK ahead 
and he said, I used to watch you as a kid on Fox in the UK. My mom would let me stay up until 10 o'clock at night, and I would watch you. And he said, because of that, I've, I've started all of these things, and I just joined Turning Point. It's changing the world. Bill O'Reilly coming up next. Is the Glenn Beck Program.